0: But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the the earth. Thank you for listening to the weekly podcast of Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. We hope you'll enjoy this sermon from the series Witnesses, a study on the book of Acts. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. I am nothing but a man who is tired and broken and sinful and and absorbed with myself often and disobedient to who you are, but you are a perfect God and you you have given us a perfect scripture. And so I ask that your spirit would use me, despite myself and my brokenness and fallenness, God, to build your church, that the church here and the church in the city and the church in the nation and the church in the world, that that you, Lord, would be building your church this morning, that you would be creating and preparing a people for your own possession, your people, your church, who you gave yourself for. And so be exalted here, be worshiped here, be glorified here by your spirit, Lord Jesus, and for your name's sake we pray. Amen. Thanks, you guys. Have a seat. And turn in your Bibles to Acts 13. Acts 13. Again, we thank you guys for your patience with coffee and all the chaos. Uh, We're counting down. All right, a couple more months, and we'll be in the building, and then there'll be chaos over there. But it's a better chaos because there'll be more of us in the same room. All right. Uh, Acts chapter 13. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one under the seat in front of you. You can grab that. And you can open to the uh, book of Acts. If you don't know where it is, it's okay. You just look in the table of contents, fifth book of the New Testament Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. And here's where we've been. Kind of recap for those who are new, those who have been gone, whatever the, the, the situation may be. In about 30 AD, Jesus of Nazareth was crucified on, and rose again on the third day. Crucified on, on Good Friday, rose on Easter Sunday. And for 40 days, he's hanging out with his disciples, and he's teaching them, and he's encouraging them. And on day 40, right before he goes back to the Father, he tells them, 120 of them, y'all are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in Judea, and in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And he goes back to heaven, and then 10 days later, on the Feast of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit falls... And out of joy, the church is born. And they start taking the message of Jesus of Nazareth, crucified and resurrected to the nations, and lives start changing. And people experience forgiveness of sins. And, it's, and for the first 10, 15 years, it's pretty much focused around Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And it's predominantly Jewish. There's a you know, there's an Ethiopian eunuch here, and there's a, a centurion over here. But for the most part, it's right around that Jerusalem area, and it's all Jewish. And we saw last week, though, it's about to change, chapter 13, in the context of worshiping in the church, God moves and says, all right, Paul, Barnabas, you out. You're going. You're going away. We're going to get that ends of the earth part taken care of. Right, And that's what's coming up next. And the rest of the book is the ends of the earth. And, and Paul is going to go on three adventures, three journeys to the ends of the earth, taking the message of Christ. And we are going to look today at the first adventure, the first journey. And we're going to take the whole thing in one. I told you last week we're going to do it. I hope you read ahead, right? We're going to cover all 13 and all 14 today. And here's why. Because the first missionary journey, in many ways, parallels our lives. You know why? Because there is a lot of challenges that the Apostle Paul and Barnabas are going to face. Just like in your life, there's a lot of challenges. It is going to be hard. Hardest thing Paul's ever done to this point. Just like our lives sometimes are hard. It is, right? If you have kids, kids throw up. If you're single, you don't know that yet. You just wait 10 years. Kids throw up. Parents, grandparents pass away. Friends get cancer. Children get addicted to drugs. We get older. We get weaker. We get heavier. We get deployed. We get tired. We get fired. We get confused, we get used, Because sometimes life is hard. And the goal today for us is not to be reminded of all the areas where we fall short, because we, I think we're pretty, well, most of us, if we're honest, we're well aware of the areas, we're missing it. The goal for us is in the midst of our journey, as God is continually writing the story, and look, and we're in chapter Acts chapter 137, or whatever it is now, because God is still writing his story, and it's our time. But sometimes the journey is hard, and in the midst of that, I don't want you to give up. I don't want you to quit. And that's what Paul would say if he was here. In fact, at the end of this journey, when he's all done, here's what he says. He returns to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch on his way back home, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying this. How's this for a welcoming, warm statement? Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God thanks, Paul. That's encouraging. What's he saying? It's hard, and you must enter this way. It's not, a, oh, maybe or not. No, you must enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. But he's what is he saying? He's strengthening them. He's encouraging them, saying, keep going. And so what we're going to talk about today is just keep going. And we're going to look at the journey, and we're going to see the struggles he has in, the, in, the, in, the, in the, all these different tribulations, because they're the same ones we got. Some of you are right smack dab in the middle, and some of you are going into it, and some of you just come out of it, but we're going to look at it, and we're going to find encouragement because if Paul can do it, then we can too. So let's jump in. Here's where we're going. Here's our map. All right, I got like 65 clickers up here now. All right, so we're starting in Antioch, and we're going to the island of Cyprus. This is Barnabas' hometown. It's his island, like in Baryfart. It's my island. That's Barnabas' island. And then we're heading up here to another Antioch, different Antioch, okay? But don't get you confused. We're going back through this way and we're ending. We got 1,500 miles-ish. It's three years, many tribulations. We got like 40 minutes, so let's jump. All right? It starts in verse 4, where we picked up last week. So, being sent out by the Holy Spirit. That's key. Remember, this is God's deal. This is not Paul and Barnabas' plan. This is God moving him. So being sent out by the Holy Spirit, they went down to Seleucia, and from there they sailed to Cyprus. And when they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had John to assist them. couple observations. What you're going to see, the pattern for Paul is this. When he goes into a new town, he always goes to the Jew First. Always goes to the synagogues. That's what God has called them to do, to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles. So we're going to see it every town. Synagogue, 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 synagogue. All right. Another observation from these two verses. They got a helper. They got a ministry intern. His name is John. He's the cousin of Barnabas. All right. He's the young dude. He's kind of like, maybe he was the youth pastor up at Antioch. They're like, hey, let's bring this guy. He's young. He can carry our stuff because he's got a young back. But maybe he's got great potential. Maybe they think he's the future of ministry. So like, let's bring John. He can be like our intern. And they're like, okay. So they bring John, and as they go, verse six. When they had gone through the whole island, as far as as far as Paphos, they came to a certain upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. Interesting name, right? Just means son of Jesus, or in the Hebrew, son of Joshua. All right or son of a savior. That's the translation. He was with the proconsul The proconsul is kind of like the senator. He's the, the main guy on the island. His name was Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence. And he summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. But Eli- Elimus, the magician... For that is the meaning of his name. Okay, this is Bar-Jesus. His nickname is Elimus. It just means magician. He opposed them, seeking to turn the proconsul away. Literally, the word for turn there means to pervert, to make crooked. He wants to turn the proconsul away from the faith. So you got this false prophet, Bar-Jesus, and you got Paul preaching the gospel, and and now you got this opposition, and Paul ain't going to play. He ain't going to play. So he gets up in his face, and he says this, Saul, who was also called Paul filled with the spirit, looked intently at him and said, you son of the devil. That's the closest Paul comes to cussing in the New Testament right there. You son of the devil. Barnabas thought he was going to He's like, oh, it's just okay. The enemy of all unrighteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you not stop making crooked the straight path of the Lord? And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you, and you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately, mist and darkness fell upon him, and he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And then the proconsul believed when he saw what had occurred, for he was astonished at the teaching of the Lord. How do you like that? Right? This guy, hes the idea is he's in spiritual darkness, he's perverting, he's making crooked the way. So Paul says, all right, you want to confuse people? You want to be in darkness? Boom! Now you're in darkness. I wish I had that power. You don't like a sermon? Fine. How you like that? Come back next week. Tell me what you think next week. All right? But think about that. Blind. And, and, and herein is the first tribulation, the first thing that we deal with as followers of Jesus. It's this it is spiritual attack. It's spiritual attack. Attack. If you follow Jesus Christ, you will be attacked. We are in a war. Whether you see it or not, whether you believe it or not, there is an enemy of your soul. He has legions of demons and he hates you. He hates your God. He hates your kids. He hates your marriage. He hates your ministry. He hates everything about you. He said, Well, I don't, I don't really know all about that. It doesn't matter whether you believe it or not, it's true. And if you could see what was going on right now in the spiritual world, you would be freaked out, right? You would. You'd be scared to death. It's good. You're like, oh, no, I don't want to know. You're right. You probably don't because it's real. And and there's only one instance in the Bible we kind of get a snapshot out of it. I was actually just came across it this morning in my quiet time. We're reading in 2 Kings, and there's this guy, Elisha, and he's surrounded by all these wicked kings of the world, and they're coming to kill him. And his servant's like, what are we going to do? He's like, don't worry. There's more for us than are against us. He's like, what are you talking about? And he prays, God, open his eyes, let him see. And the servant sees around, him, and there's just chariots of fire just surrounding. And he's like, oh, close my eyes, I don't want to see anymore. It's scary. If you could see what was going on in the spiritual realm, you would understand that this is a war. And some of the stuff, and I'm not trying to get all this present darkness Frank Peretti on you, but some of the stuff that goes on is, is part of the attack. I mean, it just is. Before I got up here at first service, I spilled coffee all over my leg. I'm telling you, I came up here and I was all wet on here. I don't care. I don't know, but just you think. I mean, that was just one of those things, right? Or maybe not. Is it any? Do you think that some of you, if you're really honest, getting to church this morning, it was like World War Three, and you guys came to the late service for goodness sakes. I mean, you got the soccer practice at 9 o'clock yesterday morning, and it was all easy. Try to come to church at 11.15, and you want to kill people. I can't find shoes. Khakis need ironing. Somebody spilled the frosted flakes. Who's, there's no gas in the car. Who's going to let the dog out? Bunch of pagans on the way to church. You think that's by accident. No, because the enemy of your soul does not want you worshiping. Look, this is welcome to my life. Saturday and Sunday, I don't even want to talk to people because I'm scared. What I just know, I know the attack's coming. Last Saturday, my wife's out of town. I got the boys. I'm trying to get some stuff down to run in the house, trying to clean the tub out. I, you know, hit the, hit the little jets button, you know, that we never use, and I walk out of the room and it's cleaning itself. I come back and there's water. Just it's Viagra fall. It's like yeah, it's a fountain in our house. And 20 minutes later, my wife calls me, and she's in Spartanburg. She has an emergency with the car. And I got towels, and I got car. And then I get in the minivan to come to church to preach. And I roll the window down, because it's hot, because it's like 96 in Savannah. And then I try to roll the window up, and it won't go up, and it's going to rain. And I'm like, just a Saturday in the Fowler house. (laughs) Right? Just a Saturday. It's part of the enemy's attacks. Not everything that bad is, happens is it? there's not a demon under every rock, but you got to understand that there is a war going on. Paul recognizes it. This is not just some guy that doesn't like him. He he says, "You son of the devil." He calls it what it is. You are an enemy of righteousness. He recognizes the attack and the tactics of the enemy. And and look, there. Once you get to know truth, and once you start paying attention to the fact that there's a battle, you will recognize. The tactics of the enemy, they all begin with D. He wants to deceive, he wants to discourage, he wants you to doubt, he wants to distract, he wants to devise, he wants you to root for the Dallas Cowboys, (laughs) all D's. But what is he the chief of? He is the chief deceiver. He is the liar from the beginning. And his lies are oh so subtle, y'all. If they're not just blatant, they're not just, if they were blatant, we'd see them. They're 98% true and 2% lie, which makes them all lie. And, and we don't have a, you know, a lot of time to go into all this, but here's the big thing. Satan is, is very consistent. He's not super creative. He has been doing the same thing because it's effective since Genesis chapter 3. He attacks two things. Ready? He attacks the veracity of the Word of God and he attacks the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's what he does. He attacks the character of God, the veracity of of the Word of God. Go every time you see him speak. That's what he does. Genesis 3, what does he say to Eve? Did God really say that? And then he attacks his character. God is just trying to keep you from the real deal every time. When he tempts Jesus, when he speaks, he attacks the word of God, he attacks the person and the work of Christ. Is there any reason, I mean, don't you think it's weird? No one's attacking the character of Muhammad, of, of Buddha, of Confucius. No one's attacking them. But it's always Jesus had, had an affair with Mary Magdalene. Jesus wasn't really born of a virgin. Jesus really didn't say that. Jesus never talked about marriage. Jesus was never really God. Jesus never raised from the dead. It's always an attack on Jesus. No one else. Newsweek doesn't write a, a nasty article about the Quran. It writes it about the Bible. You don't always hear the the lost gospels of Muhammad. No, no, no. It's always the lost gospels. Oh, the real gospels come out now. And Oh, in the early church, all they did is they just decided which books they wanted to put in, and they just kind of threw them together because they wanted It's always attacking the veracity of the word and the character of Christ. Why? Because if you doubt those, who are you going to listen to? The voice of the culture, which has no clue what it believes, but it's all over the place. So so there's no God, and you came from monkeys but then when you act like a monkey, you're bad. When you, when you believe in, in Darwin's survival of the fittest and then you just kind of act out on that, you're, you're a bad person. But there is no really thing bad because bad doesn't really have a root in anything because there's no God. And they're confused. Just drive up I 95 and see how confused. One sign, have it your way, fast food ahead, super buffet. Next sign, plastic surgery, no one's perfect, get taking your care of your varicose veins. I mean, you go It's like, what is it? Have it my way? My way is not varicose veins. What is it? And it just conflicting. Why? Because the enemy wants to confuse. He wants to distort. He wants to whisper in your ear You deserve this. You deserve better. You don't deserve him. He doesn't make you happy. Whatever makes you happy doesn't matter, right? You just need to be where you need to be. The voice of the enemy. And who are you going to believe? Are you going to believe the God who constantly says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I want the best for you, and I proved it because I sent my son to die for you? Are you going to believe him, or are you going to believe the one who was a liar from the beginning, whose goal is to confuse, to cause anxiety, to cause doubt? Are you going to believe? You got to choose. But here's the good news for us. The battle is over. (laughs) At the resurrection, Satan was defeated. Checkmate. Game, set, match. And you know what? He knows it. The problem is the church doesn't know it. The problem is we don't believe it sometimes. Demons even know it's over. When they see Jesus, don't throw us, don't put us in there before the time. They know it's over. We need to remember when it's dark, when things don't seem like they're going well, it's, it's over. Look, when I watch p- quite possibly the greatest movie of all time, The Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> all right, no sermon is, is complete without a Star Wars reference. But when I watch The Empire Strikes Back, look, it doesn't look good for the rebellion. Han Solo, the best hero of all time, is in carbonite. Luke Skywalker, as fickle and weak as he is, has lost his arm to Darth Vader, who is his father. And if you didn't know that, you should have watched it by now. (laughs) C-3PO, as annoying as he is, is in pieces on the back of Chewbacca. The Rebellion has no home base. They're scattered throughout the galaxy. But I'm not worried. Because I've seen the return of the Jedi. (laughs) And I know that in the end, Han gets out of carbonite, kills Jabba the Hutt, blows up the radar, frees the Death Star. Luke goes in. Darth Vader saves him, even though he's this mean dude. He comes back and loves on his son, and he doesn't even realize he's got a daughter named Princess Leia, and this is whole big, great stuff. And I know it already. So when the Empire Strikes Back is going on, I'm not worried. And the idea is this, when you're in the middle of the empire strikes back, you've got to remember, ah, the battle's over. It's done. And we have the truth of the scripture. When the enemy is in your ear, to remind yourself, no, 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 greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Right? Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have tribulation, but take courage. I've overcome the world. Right? If God is for you, then who in your right mind could be against you? You have all these promises. Resist the devil and he will flee. Either believe it or you don't. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God. He has given you spiritual armor to fight the battle. And so some of you maybe just real practically this week, before you leave the house, you just need to pray the armor on, Lord, the helmet of salvation. This is in Ephesians 6, if you don't know where it is. You pray the helmet of salvation, guarding your thoughts and minds, and the breastplate of righteousness covering your, your heart, the shield of faith extinguishing the, the enemies of the, of the evil one, girding my loins with truth, my feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and in my hand the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, your only offensive weapon. And so instead of listening to that little voice, you deserve better, blah, 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 start talking to yourself and say, no, I have better in Jesus. And start preaching yourself the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Because the battle, y'all, is over. And our champion has won for us. And now he's given you his spirit. He's given you victory. But you will face an enemy. And let me just tell you, he's waiting for you in the car when you leave today. He's there, and he's in the form of boys and girls, little kids. (laughs) Just kidding. What happens next? All right, so they're here. They're in Paphos. They're going to take a boat. They're going to go to Perga, and something significant happens. All right, verse 13. Now, Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga and Pamphylia, and here's what's big, and John left them and returned to Jerusalem. The young intern bolts. He quits. He runs home to mama. I mean, how brutal is that for Barnabas? This is his cousin. He stuck his neck out. And they go to now they got three guys down to two. Who's gonna carry the stuff, Paul? The young guy's gone. He abandons them. He quits. And the world, look, the world, y'all, is full of quitters. It is a, it is habitual. It is continuous. People quit jobs. People quit churches. People quit marriages. People quit responsibilities. Why? Because it's easy. And even for a lost world, when someone kind of sticks to it and stays at the same place for 47 years, when Cal Ripken Jr. plays 1,000 million games in a row, the world's like, whoa, that's significant, right? I mean, we were playing... We were playing Monopoly as a family the other night in a little trip, six-year-old trip. He doesn't get the idea of buying properties. But that's all right. Hanging in there, and he lands on hotels, and he's like, he's done. I'm like, you're smoke trip, you're gonzo, adios, right? And he's like, okay, but wait, and he gets up, and he's got this stash of money right underneath him. He's been hiding, and I don't even know where he got it. I mean, he could have stole it from the bank, but I don't care, Because he doesn't want out. He wants to persevere. He doesn't want out of the game. He's he's, he's in it for the long haul. And you know what? That's That's what Paul's saying. Don't quit. But here's the reality. And this is tough. Some of the tribulations and trials that some of you are in right now or that you will face, and this is a hard one, it's abandonment and betrayal. And you know it. And we have it in this church. I wish we did not. But we have dads who have left. We have spouses who have checked out. We have people who have quit this church, getting mad for some reason at me or somebody else. And let me tell you, when a, when a dad checks out, when a mom leaves, when a, when a boss, whatever, a ministry partner, it hurts. When a close friend pulls away, when one of your roommates walks away from the Lord, hurts. It, it causes pain and wounds that are deep. I'm, I mean, some of our men, as we worked through our, our stuff last semester, were talking about wounds their dads had caused on them 20, 25 years ago, 40 years ago. Deep. Paul, the great apostle Paul, the apostle of grace and love, it's going to take him, and five years later, he is still going to be mad at John. So much so that him and Barnabas cannot get a gong and have to split up because of John. It's big. Right? It hurts. And what some of you need to hear this morning is, is people will let you down. I will let you down. Your spouse will let you down. Your kids, your boss, your small group leader, your elder... We will let you down, but there is one friend who sticks closer than a brother, and it's the Savior. And I know for some of you that's hard to believe because there's this mentality, and it's the enemy whispering in your ear, if that was true, then we would not have had a miscarriage. If that was true, my mom would not have had a heart attack. If that was true, then how come I can't get a job? How come I can't sell my house? How come this happened to my teenager? And that's the enemy whispering in your ear. And what you need to do is you need to preach the gospel to yourself. No, no, no. God is good, and He has promised me, and I promise you, y'all, on the authority of Scripture and on the character of Jesus Christ, that He says He will not leave you and forsake you, and He won't ever, even in the darkest place, He will not leave you. And here's another reality for us some of you sitting in the chairs this morning, you are the quitter. You are the betrayer. You walked out on the marriage 20 years ago. You quit on a pregnancy. You quit on a church. You walked away from responsibility. And sometimes, you know, that, that's just as bad. Some of y'all are still bearing the guilt of that. And you need to realize, too, that the grace of Jesus Christ covers even that. Even Peter denying that he knows Jesus. Even the disciples who ran away, Jesus covers that. I mean, even John, can John ever be used? He quit on the Apostle Paul. How, I mean, you could quit on some people. Don't quit on Paul. He writes the Bible. Can John be used? I didn't tell you his full name. It's John Mark, i.e., the Mark who wrote the Gospel of Mark. He gets to do something even Paul doesn't get to do. He gets to write a gospel. Even Peter doesn't get to write a gospel. Mark does. Can John be used by God again? Even by Paul at the end of Paul's life, do you know what he says? 2 Timothy, bring Mark. He's useful for me. God restores. But betrayal hurts, and it's real. And it's a tribulation that we all face. What's next? They are in Perga, and they are about to head up the mountains to a city called Antioch. Now, what you need to understand is this is a very difficult journey. It is very hard, and it is very dangerous. There is bandits. There is people hiding behind every corner. It's 3,500 feet up. Now they're down to two guys. It's a lot easier to attack two guys than it was to attack three guys. Their young buck who carries all their stuff is gone. It's a hard journey. And on top of that, what we find out from the book of Galatians, because he's going into Galatia now... This is the area where he writes the letter to the Galatians. He is sick. Some people think he had malaria, some other disease gotten from mosquitoes from being down at the coast. We don't know exactly what it is, but Paul is sick. He writes this to the Galatians. You know it was because of bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. It's so bad. He says this, and my condition was a trial to you. They got to care for the apostle Paul. He's so sick, he's like dependent on them. And they didn't score and despise him. But here's the idea. Here's another tribulation and trial that we all have to face. And it's one that for some of you it's not such a big deal right now, but others of you it's huge and it's the tribulation of physical brokenness. You're just falling apart. Thyroid, hip, joints, eyes, heart. There's just a brokenness there. Or some of you are just so tired you're a single mom, you're, you're working three jobs just to put food on the table, or your husband's deployed, and you're taking kids here, and you're working here, and you got meals here, or maybe you're just flat out sick, and, and I don't know how some of y'all moms do it. I'll be quite honest, because my wife, we have four kids, and I got to go to work every day. Because if I don't go to work, guess what? Someone's going to preach sermon. So I can be sick, but <laughs> there's no sick days. Sunday comes regardless. We don't just call everyone, hey, come Monday instead. But my, when she, my wife is taking her sick kids and then she gets sick, oh my gracious, it's misery. My mama's sick. And there's just, that's just brokenness. It's a brokenness of the world. Some of you have watched your parents in hospice. It's brokenness. And, and the reality is this, from dust we came, we're going to dust. That's the way it is. The hope is resurrection, which Jesus has procured because he rose... From the dead, so that's our hope, and that's where we're going. But let me just be real practical here, okay? Just from the side of physicalness, and this is kind of a, a side note, but we need to take care of our bodies, y'all. You just need to take care of your body. I know, and, you know, we don't talk about it in the church sometimes. This is the temple of the Holy Spirit, which doesn't just mean you don't do cocaine. All right, it means you don't clog your arteries too. It means you get up and exercise. And I'm not talking about to be Arnold Schwarzenegger like me. I mean, I know. <laughs> I can bench like 80 whole pounds. <laughs> but you need to take care of your body. You you need to go for a walk. Some, some of you ladies, 11 o'clock runs around. You need to do this. There's nothing on Instagram that's worthwhile at 1130. Nothing on Facebook. YouTube will be there in the morning. You can play Farmville in the morning. It, you need to get a good night's sleep. Sleep is important. Some of you need to say no to something so that you can get some rest because you're working 47 days straight. It's not healthy. We need to take care of our bodies. Right? Now, they're all going to the same place. I get that. But we can slow that process down a little bit. A little less Mickey D's. A little more walking. Right, a little more salad. I'm not a salad guy, but I'll eat a salad once in a while. Okay? All right. A little less sodas 17 times a day. A little drinking of water. When God brings the rock in the wilderness, it doesn't sprit Pepsi. There's water. <laughs> Alright? Drink some water. Alright, just take care of your body. Alright? It's, it's, it's important. Through many tribulations, we enter abandonment, battle, physical struggles. Here's what happens next. They get to Antioch. Um, and and they go into the Sabbath day in the synagogue, and they sit down, just like is their their pattern. And verse 15, after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of exhortation for the people, say it. How you like that? They just asked if Paul wanted to talk. That's like asking me, do you want to slander the Atlanta Braves? No, of course I do. Yeah, let me tell you what I think about the Dallas Cowboys, okay? That's just opening in a can of worms. He just asked the Apostle Paul if he wants to preach. So what does Paul do? He preaches. He stands up and he preaches. And here's what he did. We're going to summarize it because it's a, it's a long portion. He preaches almost the exact same sermon that Stephen preached about 12 years earlier. And here's the irony. When Stephen preached his sermon... That, that 12 years earlier, what did Paul do at the end of it? He killed him. He had him stoned. Now, he's preaching the same exact sermon. That is the grace of God and how he changes people. So here's what he does. He knows his audience is Jewish, and so he appeals to that. He, he goes to the promises of the Old Testament. He says, y'all, you were chosen by God. You had Abraham You had Moses, he took you out of Egypt, he put you in the land of Canaan, he drove out all those people, he gave you Judges, he gave you Samuel, he gave you David, and they're loving it, they're feeling so great, like, yeah, it got awesome to us, and he's got them right where he wants them then. And he says, not only David, you have someone else, and he points them where? Right to the Messiah. In verse 32, he says this, and we bring you good news what, was God, what God promised to the fathers, this he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising who? Jesus. As also it is written in the second psalm, you were my son, today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to return to corruption, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he served the purpose of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he who God raised up did not see corruption. What is he talking about? He's talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, David, you can go see his grave to this day. It's still in Jerusalem. He's corrupted, just bones, but not Jesus, not the Messiah. He came out of the grave, just like the Psalm says. says, that he will not let his Holy One see corruption. And then he brings it in for his landing and his application. Let it known to you, therefore, brothers, through this man, through Jesus of Nazareth, through the Messiah, forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything, from from that which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. You don't have to be under this law anymore, this yoke of slavery that keeps you down, because Jesus has freed us from that, and we can have forgiveness of sins. And man, people are excited at this point. They're like, man, it's the best sermon we ever heard. Verse 42, they begged him he could come back again next week. For Paul, it's like, woo, yeah, I'll come back and preach again. And when he did, verse 44, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city was there. How exciting is that for Paul? How awesome is it when you're coming through trial in life and God just brings a little fruit and you're like, oh, you've been praying for this kid and working with this kid on this one issue and you see fruit and you're like, finally. Isn't that great? Or maybe you're down a little bit and you're, you owe a little bit of money and you're short this month and, and there's just a check from grandma or some friend that sends you the $78, just what you needed to pay the bill. You're like, how awesome is that when God just shows up and you're like, That's, God, thank you for caring for my needs. Or maybe you're able to use your gifts or abilities and make a phone call at just the right time and someone needs to hear from you. You're able to go have a meal and you're just able to use it and, and, and encourage somebody. And you're like, those little fruitful blessings, isn't that awesome? That's what Paul is getting. But right on the heels of that, y'all, and this is what you need to be aware of, is when the enemy attacks. Right on the cusp of a victory, you always have to be on guard. And in this great moment where all the whole city is there, verse 45, but when the crowds, when, when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. these are the very people he came to love. I mean, he loves them. Romans 9 says if he could give up his life and his salvation for the Jewish nation, he would do it. He loves them, and how do they respond? They revile him. They catcall, verbally abuse, slander, trash talk, interrupt, and here's the next tribulation that you're going to see in your life, guaranteed. If you follow Jesus, or even if you don't, there is going to be hurtful people and typically they hurt most with their mouth. Why? Because the same mouth comes for blessing and curse. That's what James says. And he also says it shouldn't be that way. And, and let's, let's even take it to the next level. Let's be honest. Who are the ones that hurt us the most with their mouth? It's typically those who are closest to isn't it? Who in my house is the most discouraging person to the kids, the most discouraging person to my wife? me. I am. And, that, and that's why James says it shouldn't be that way. But that's the way it is sometimes, isn't it? The people he loves the most are the most hurtful. Why? Because they're jealous. Because he got big crowds. Because everyone wants to hear him. And all jealousy is, it's, it's pride lived out. I think I'm better than you. Thus, I should have what you have. I want what you have because I'm better and I deserve it and you don't. That's jealousy. It's pride lived out. And they're mad because all the crowds want to hear him. Hurtful people. And how do you deal with it? There's no verse here that says, we see how he responds. But as you search the New Testament and you you kind of search the teachings of Christ and the teaching of Paul and the teachings of Peter, here's how you can summarize. How do you deal with hurtful people? You bless them. You say, that's harder than the other. Yep. But here's what happens. If you don't, you become like them. If, you are gonna, if you're going to respond to the reviler with reviling, then you have just become like him. And what do you get? Anger, hostility, jealousy. But if you bless, pray for them, walk away, whatever it is, then they can't steal your joy. They're not going to, how they steal the joy from you who is, they're reviling and you're blessing. They're talking smack and you're praying. You can't do anything to that. What do you do to that? You just get more mad, which is exactly what they do. Because Paul says, fine, you don't want this. We will go to the Gentiles. It was necessary for us to come to you first, verse 46, but now we're going to go to the Gentiles. And man, when the Gentiles hear that, they're like, what? They begin rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. Why? Because forever they have been excluded from the promises. They've been on the out. They've been despised. They've been rejected. And now they find out that God loves them and wants to forgive them, that he wants to make them a people for his own possession. And they're like, we'll take it. We'll take it. And it just makes the religious people even more mad, which is always what happens. Because when you offer hope to people who don't deserve it, and proud people see it, they just get more angry, and that's what they do. So they, get, they rile everyone up, they get devout women of high standing and leading men of the city, stir up persecution against Paul and Barnabas, and they drive them out of their district. But They just shake off the dust of their feet, because that's what Jesus told them to do. It's symbolic, like, okay, this is on you, and they went to Iconium. But notice, notice verse 52, I love it. And they were, the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So who do you want to be around? Let's be honest. You have two choices. Do you want to be around grumpy, miserable, legalistic, sad, jealous people or joyful people? Paul's like, I'm going to go to the Gentiles because they're at least wanting to be forgiven. They just want to have joy. Hey, and that's what we've talked about here as a church. I want to be with people who are joyful because then I will have joy because it's contagious. I don't want to be with grumpy people. Now, sometimes you can't help it. But I, I want to be around the people that have joy because they, I have joy. And we've talked to you guys. Some of you guys, you're, you know, some of you are visiting this morning. We can always tell visitors, you know why? Because they're always frowning. Who's this guy in the, the red pants? They're, they're salmon. <laughs> right? so you, how was he, like 13 years old? Who's this? What is all these, you know, this crazy people? We'll give you a hug and you'll be okay but we want to be around joyful people because yes it's hard out there but this is our respite this is the place we come together we gather we can do this together as God's people and it can be a joyful time to put away those things and gather and you got a choice what are you how are you going to respond To the grumpy person. How are you going to respond to the hurtful person? You can become like them, or you can choose joy and let the joy of the Lord be your strength. You got to decide. It's on you. You can choose to be filled with anger, jealousy, hostility, or with joy in the Holy Spirit. I'm going to choose joy in the Holy Spirit. Right? Even if it's harder sometimes, I'm going to choose it. Because we will all be around hurtful people. And then what happens next? I mean, it's the second verse, same as the first. They go now to Iconium. They go down up, I guess down the road a little bit. They go from here to here. And things aren't going to change. They're going to preach. They're going to point people to God. Look at verse three. They remained a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. They're preaching grace. They're doing miracles. They're healing people. You'd think they'd be happy. But the people of the city were divided. Some sided with the Jews and some with the apostles. And when an attempt was made by both Gentiles and Jews with their rulers to mistreat them and stone them, they leave. They find about and they leave. But think about it. They mistreat them. Why? They're just healing people. They're telling the people about how to have your sins forgiven. How to have eternal life. And what do they do? They mistreat them. Look, if you follow Jesus... I mean, really, I'm not talking about go to church. I mean, if you follow Jesus, you know what you can expect at some point in your life? You will be mistreated. You just will. High school student, you want to remain pure, then you go into the locker room, you will be mocked, I promise you. I promise you, right? College student, same with you. You're not going to go out and get ripped you're not going to go out and get blitzed. You will be mocked. You will be ostracized at the office. I don't care how Christian the company is. You're not going to cheat the books. You're not going to, you know, going to kind of skirt around the rules a little bit. Do all these things. Go on the business trip and kind of do out and get get, you know, lit or go to the club, whatever it is. I promise you that people will start pulling away from you at some point. They will. Why? Because you're just. I'm not talking about being a jerk and, you know, this obnoxious Christian. Just because you're following Jesus, people will mistreat you. How do I know? They did it to him. And he was the most loving, gentle, kind, forgiving, gracious person ever. And they hated him, and they murdered him. And so if they did it to him, if you follow him, they will do it to you. And he says they will. You don't think this church is going to be attacked? <laughs> I can tell you it's always attacked. It's coming. It's coming. And we're just here to celebrate what he's done. Hateful Christians. Hate everything. No, we don't. No, we don't. Jesus is to you. No, we don't. It's coming. You will be mistreated. But here's the deal. Here's the encouragement in that. You may not see what's going on behind the scenes, but God is doing something great. He's getting mistreated here. He's getting mistreated there. But guess what? Disciples are being made. Half the people are following Christ. Back in Antioch, people are following the Lord. People are coming to faith. And I can promise you, high school student, college student, you may be mocked and these people may make fun of you and you're a prude and you're this and that and the other. When that guy's family falls apart and his parents get divorced or something big happens in that family, he will come where first? To you. To you. And the guy at the office or the gal, when their marriage is falling apart and all these things and money struggles and then they lose this whatever, and their kids are rebelling, whatever, where are they going to come? They're going to come to you first. And that is your opportunity to point them to the gospel. It happens all the time here at CBC. I mean, it happened this week. we got a young college guy. Two years ago, he's a punk. Gets saved. Following Jesus. Comes home for break. One of his old boys he used to party with goes out and has some big kind of drastic event in his life fall apart who's he call this guy this guy leads him to the lord this week happens all the time you're going to be mistreated but you don't know the fruit that will come from that Just telling you so don't quit yeah it stinks i want to be liked who doesn't but don't quit many tribulations hurtful people mistreatment, physical challenges, spiritual warfare, betrayal. Where are we on the map now? I don't even remember. All right, here we go. We're in Iconium. I've done this like five times now, so I'm like lost in the map somewhere. We're going down to Lystra. And what Paul does in Lystra is what he does every time in Lystra, every other place. Goes to synagogue, preaches, heals. And, and specifically, there's a miracle here. He hears, heals a guy, verse 10, that, that can't walk and can't walk. His feet are crippled. She says, "Stand up," and the guy gets up. And here's the response of the people. And when the crowd saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in Lyconian, "The gods have come down to us in the likeness of men." This is what happens when I walk into the gym. (laughs) The gods have come. Just kidding, right? Yeah, all me and my eighty-pound bench weight. And Barnabas they called Zeus and Paul Hermes because he was the chief speaker. Remember this Greek culture, in their view, Zeus kind of came down to earth and had affairs with women, and that's how he got Hercules, and that's how he got Perseus, and there's all this mixed match. So they're thinking, look, gods, Hermes, Zeus are here. And think about this now if you're Paul. This is a great opportunity. I mean, everywhere they've gone, it's been hard, running out of town, beating up. I might have a little bit of temptation. Let's just enjoy this for one night. Just one night, we'll tell them in the morning. And they can get anything they want. They can have a house, women, drink, money. I mean, they're going to sacrifice to them. And therein lies the subtlety of the challenge and the tribulation. Self-exaltation. It's a big one, not one we think about, especially in our uber you know, selfie culture. Insta this, snap this, face this, you this, vine this, and we it's all about just getting my four minutes of me time. Self-exaltation. How do you deal with success? I mean, how do you deal with it? The promotion, your kid wins the big game, you knocked it out of the ballpark with this this deal you've been working on for six months and it finally came through, you've been busting your tail. How do you deal with it? A little money? Business is good. Here's Here's the challenge. And I used to have these guys, two two professors in seminary, and these these I don't remember a lot from seminary, especially Hebrew, but these guys said something, both of them. That, that stuck with me. One of them's name was Jim Allman. And he told us, he said, when you graduate in a few months, they're going to give you a master's of theology. Don't believe them. Right? And that, that stands out to me. Another thing was Howard Hendricks. He used to talk about at the end of the sermon during the glorification of the worm. And what he meant was when everyone comes up, it's all oh, great sermon. Great sermon. Did a great job. Oh. What are they going to tell you? Did a lousy job? Yeah, some of y'all do, but <laughs> probably right but he called it the glorification of the worm. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, is he calling us worms? We're paying him a lot of money to call us worms. But that's the idea. Glorification of the worm. And I'm just reminded of the apostle Paul. What is, what is, how does Paul handle these things? He just, he's very simply he tells the Corinthians, he says, what do you have that you did not receive? What do you have? Some of y'all are so gifted I mean, SCAD student, you guys are the best in the world, let's be honest, you rock, you're gifted, you are talented, you got creativity out the wazoo, how do you handle that? Some of you musically, man, we got some great musicians, great singers, some of you businessmen, business ladies, you are unbelievable, you are incredible salesmen, you, you've built businesses, you've started it from scratch, you've made a lot of money. Some of you are unbelievable teachers and communicators. Some of you are soldiers and you are studs and you have fortitude and strength and and perseverance and you're able to go out, you rangers, and do things that we cannot dream. Some of you are so smart and God has made you doctors and lawyers and, and some of you are just great parents. I mean, athletes, we got so many athletes. We got college athletes here. We got high school studs. Some of you are so gifted. How do you handle that success? That's the question. Because the temptation is, I'm pretty good. I know it. I'm pretty good. And, and all, and, and look, everything God has made you and given you is a gift from him, and he has created you, and he has given you gifts. Every good and perfect gift is from the Father of lights, okay? So we're, we're not down on gifts. We, God gives good gifts to his children to enjoy, but not so that you can steal his glory, but so that you can drive back to him and say, just simply thank you and worship him and use that for him. I, I love it when my kids thank me for simple things. Thanks for for pizza, Dad, taking us to the pizza. Thanks for taking me to Target. Thanks for letting me do this. And I'm a fallen, broken dad, and I love it when my kids thank you. How much more God the Father who gives good things to his children to enjoy and to use for his glory, does he enjoy to hear thank you? That is the heart of the church. And when God gives you success and when he gives you a little bit of this and that, to point back to him. That's what Paul and Barnabas do. They're like, no, we are men. No, 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 don't worship me. Don't bring these sacrifices to me. This is about God, the living God. And you can read what he says. And even after they they just kind of pour out their hearts and they tear their clothes, it says, scarcely they restrain the people from offering sacrifice. That's the heart of man. We just want to worship anything but God. Don't be guilty of it, church. Don't be self-exalters. The apostle Paul gets it says, here's how you regard us, 1 Corinthians 4. That's what we challenge our staff with all the time. You want to know how we should regard us? Servants and stewards of the mysteries of God. That's what we are. So Paul cries out, and and they don't worship. Because here's the thing. The the praise of men is fickle, y'all. It wanes. One minute you win an Oscar. Next minute you're too, too old to get a role. At one minute you're the greatest third baseman ever. The next minute... You're gone. You're done. One minute you're this great employee and you're in charge of all these things. The next moment they give you a watch and there's a 23-year-old taking half your salary. It's just the way it is. So we don't live for the praise of men. We live for the praise of God because the praise of men wanes. These same guys that want to worship them and pour just oil on their heads and worship them, the next moment... They want to crush their heads with rocks. Look at verse 19. Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul. Wait a minute. You just thought he was Zeus, and now you want to kill him? The fickleness of men. And they dragged him out of the city, supposing he was dead. They bring him to the brink of death. Some, Some commentators actually think he died and God rose him up, but he's out. They wanted to worship him. Now they crush him. And I love verse 20. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up. And here's Paul. He enters the city. What are you? Are you a loon, Paul? Pretty much. And here's what he does. Here's what happens next. So he gets stoned in Lystra. He gets drugged outside the city. He goes right back in for time number two. Then they go down to Derby. And guess what he does? He doesn't just kind of take the train to Antioch, he goes back for the third time. And then he goes back here where these guys are the ones who came down here to stone him. And then he goes back here because these guys went here and here to stone him. He goes back all the way through. Why? Why would you do that? Because we come to the verse that we started with. He wanted to strengthen the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in faith. Because if I can get stoned and go right back in, and I can face warfare and physical challenge and hurtful people and all these things, then you can do it too. Because through many tribulations, we must We have to enter the kingdom of God. And then he goes all the way back eventually to Antioch. And it's three years later. And he arrives and they gathered at the church and they declared all that God had done and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. They don't talk about the hardships. They talk about what God has done. And in the end, in a thousand years from now, you will not be thinking about the struggles and the hardship. You will be talking about what God has done. That's where we're going. And I know it's hard for some of you. And some of you, it's not hard right now. Everything's great. And I'm so glad. But we have some real brokenness in this church right now. And it is very difficult. And what those people need to hear is, do not quit. Don't quit. I know there's physical brokenness. I know there's attacks. I know there's abandonment. I know there's harsh, mistreatful people. And I know there's a temptation for some of you to worship yourself. Don't quit. Because in the end, it'll all be worth it. And the solution—did you notice? Do you notice on every single point? And we'll close with this. And every single attack—you know what the solution is? This is what I love. The solution is Christ. It's Christ. What's the solution to the spiritual attack? The fact that Christ has conquered the grave. What is the solution? To betrayal, The fact that Christ promises he will never leave or forsake. What is the solution for physical brokenness? It's the resurrection of Christ which guarantees ours. What is the solution for mistreatment and hurtful people? The same thing Christ did. Who did not revile, who, who did not, when suffering didn't utter no threats. He, what does he give a blessing instead? For the joy set before him, he endures the cross, he despises the shame. He's the solution, the model, the joy set before him. The blessing instead. What's the solution to self-exaltation? Humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord that he might exalt you in the proper time. Not living for the voice of men, but to hear from him. Well done. In every place, he is the solution. And this is why, y'all, this is one of the attacks of the enemy is to talk, get the church to stop talking about Christ, to stop worshiping Christ, and to just put a bunch of rules and a bunch of regulations and a bunch of lifeless religion in the church instead of Christ. It is a constant pull. People want to be told what to do. They want to be given rules. They want to feel good about themselves because I kept the rules, and we got to constantly come back to Christ crucified and resurrected because it is around him that everything revolves. And so we will worship him and we will proclaim him crucified, him resurrected. He is our hope. And it is not just some simplistic doctrine. It is everything. Because in eternity, you're not going to be talking about keeping the rules. You're going to be talking about the lamb who was slain and who rose again. And we have hope. And I promise you, in the end that you will understand that the sufferings of this present time are not going to be worth comparing to the glory that has been revealed. It won't be worth comparing. And so let's respond this morning. Let's worship. Let's worship the lamb. Let's talk about to ourselves. And maybe, maybe if you're in a great place right now, then I wanna, here's what I want you to do. I want you to bust it out and sing loud. And here's why. Because the person three seats behind you is struggling, and they're not even going to be able to sing, and they need to hear you preaching the gospel to them. They might not sing. They might just sit there with their head down because they are wrestling. And to hear the church proclaim the goodness of God, that our hope is built in nothing else than Jesus' blood and righteousness, to hear that preach to themselves, that is going to encourage them. So you bust it out, and we'll worship together the lamb who was slain. Why not you stand, we'll pray and we'll sing. Jesus, our king, our rock, our savior, we thank you for the hope that you have given us in yourself, in your death, in your resurrection. I pray for your church right now, this church specifically, this local church that you've called me and these other men to shepherd. Please comfort those who need it this morning, the afflicted. And maybe afflict the comfortable a little bit too. Because we want to depend and love you. We want to, as we will sing in a minute, we want to believe with all our hearts that you are better than anything we could possibly long for. Father, for the person here who doesn't know you, who hasn't experienced forgiveness of sins, let them see the glory of the risen Christ that we believe in with all our heart, that he is alive, that he loves and saves people. Who come to him broken and empty and who believe in what he has done. Lord, we got a lot going on in this church and we got 60 people in overflow and we got challenges but we're excited because your spirit is alive and well in your church and you are moving and exalting yourself and just please let us be a part of that. This is not about our church, this is about Christ. So let us exalt you, our rock.